Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Mark Burry, author of an upcoming book. What's it called? It's called The Killing Game. And the subtitle escapes me right now. Can't remember the subtitle of your own book. Well, we changed it a whole bunch of times. There's stuff about dreams and death, and it's it's the kind of it's the Mark Burry subtitle. There's, there's got to be something in there about gore or death, or some unpleasant thing. And yet my life is so utterly peaceful; it's ridiculous. Man of peace, Mark Burry. <laughs> Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts. Yeah, bless you, my son. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Laura Hill, Puneet Mystery, Jason Moore, Shane Gunster, Jeanette Ageson, Bill Pegler, Stephen Kielbach, Matt Devlin, and Carson Crothers. Carson, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you make efforts to hold yourself and the organization accountable for your stories and views. That alone is worth my support. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is, of course the site, the service, the app that you should be using if you are a freelancer or a small business or an entrepreneur. Mark, uh, how do you do your accounting? How do you do your billing? Um, I'm going to start using FreshBooks because they sound really good and they're a lot better than the back of the envelope in a desk drawer system that I use now. I think that there are a lot of people who had accounting and billing for many years, veteran freelance writers finding that they can save a lot of time with an app like this. And you can use it. Uh, the mobile app is incredible. It's really useful for expenses, which used to take me a ton of time to uh, file all the invoices and receipts. I'm starting to bill by the hour for some stuff, so I definitely need 
something better than writing crap down and losing it. It's great for time tracking, and it's great for you. Just take a picture of each receipt, and then you can throw the receipt away. You don't have to have all those little pieces of paper in your wallet. FreshBooks.com. Try it for free for 30 days. And uh, when you do become a customer, tell them who sent you. Painless billing, cloud accounting, freshbooks.com. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. It's the end game, Mark. Dirty tricks, last days of the campaign. We're going to go through what each of the parties seem to be up to. And if anyone wants links to this stuff, go check out uh, CanadaLandShow.com. We'll link to the stories about these dirty tricks. It's freak time. It's accusations by one party that another party spreading rumors that its candidate is dying. That happened in Quebec. It's wacky time. It's the prime minister running around in shirt sleeves looking like Monty Hall. It's totally freaky. You don't see this very often, so you take a good look at it. Okay, hold on one second because I'm going to call you back because you're breaking up a little bit, okay? Okay. Mark? Hello. Okay, well, let's run through the dirty tricks in these final days. The NDP keeps uh, repeating the idea that they can win and that they're just a hair away from winning, whatever the polls say. So they keep repeating that they only need 35 more seats. They only need 35 more seats, and, and they're doing some very tricky representation of the polls – to show that they're just, you know, like, don't listen to the media. They could take this thing yet. Have you caught any of that messaging? Yeah, and you don't own a seat. Every seat is up for grabs. So the Liberals are right on that one, that everybody starts with zero, even the the Tories. There's no such thing as a safe seat in this country. I think that's finally going to get through to a lot of people. 
There were seats that uh, the bloc thought were safe, that the NDP took, the seats that the NDP thought were safe two months ago that it looks like the Liberals are going to take, especially in Quebec. No, they don't own the seats that they've got, and they can't make predictions based on anything other than what's in front of them right now. And what's in front of them right now is the fact that they really screwed up this campaign. They lost it themselves. I mean, that we've been hearing that, you know, be it uh, that they got outflanked on the left by letting Trudeau, uh, you know, run the deficit, you know, they, they move too far to the center, or we keep hearing that it's because Mulcair stuck to his guns with the Nikab thing, but you, you think that the NDP blew it. Yeah, I do. I, I don't think the Nikab if the, if the Nikab thing was as big as people said, it would be the, uh, the Tories in the bloc that would be making a lot more out of it. So I think basically it became a referendum about Stephen Harper and Tom Mulcair. So you had two grumps and a happy young man, and it turned out that it, well, it seems anyway so far that people would prefer to have a happy young man around than either of those two pricks. Well, I'm going to return to that idea of what we know about what people want. But let's let's keep going and looking at what all the parties are doing in these, in these last moments. The liberals, you alluded to this earlier, this is crazy. And we don't know that this is true yet. But the NDP is saying that the liberals in uh, Hall Elmer are spreading the word that the NDP incumbent is terminally ill and on the verge of dying. That's what they're telling voters, according to the NDP. Yeah, I haven't seen any real proof of that. That's a writing that could go liberal. So if anybody's going to do any dirty tricks somewhere, that would be actually prime ground. Nicole Trammell is a thin, older woman who looks exactly the same as she has for the past 10 years, even longer when she was head of the public service union. So if they're getting that from some sort of the look of her thing, uh, no, she's she's not going anywhere. If they're spreading that, I mean, who's spreading what? You know, when you think about it as somebody, I don't know, somebody just some jerk said, hey, she doesn't look too good. Or are they actually going around from house to house saying this woman's on death's door? Really, it doesn't really matter because there really were rumors about Jack Layton in the last election that, you know, unfortunately turned out to be true. And yet people still voted NDP. So so whether or not that would change their vote, that's still up in the air. Maybe she would get a sympathy vote if she was dying. You know what I'd, I'd like to know? It feels like there's a little bit of light between what a party uh, has decided is their official messaging. Like NDP saying, oh, we're only 35 seats away. That's obviously official messaging. Mulcair is saying that. Peggy Nash is saying that. That's that's their line. They're trying to tell the voter that they're just 35 seats away. But when you get to this level of, oh, we've, we've heard four reports that, I don't know, volunteers, canvassers are spreading this rumor about the NDP incumbent, it might be true, and yet it might not be official liberal messaging. It might be the kind of thing that, you know, amongst the people who are knocking on doors, they may just be, you know, like there might be some rogue agents or there might be unofficial messaging where people start to agree, you know, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're going to start spreading this information. And again, we don't know at all that this is true in this particular writing. If a drunk kicks over uh, a campaign sign, sometimes it makes the papers. You can even get totally paranoid and start talking about false flag things where a whole bunch of sides get defaced except one candidate. And maybe, you know, maybe that's not what it seems. It, there are a lot of people out there who are political amateurs and pro political professionals who don't get to do this very often. It's sort of like a cross between Halloween and Christmas for them. And they're out there doing as much as they can in the last week because everybody – including some NDPers, think that they can win this election. And uh, that's a huge prize. You know, the country is split. Maybe it's split in three. And there's nothing that isn't partisan. There, there's nothing that isn't politicized. There's nothing you can say right now that 
66% of the country won't jump on you for because it's, this is, this is, you know, it's for all the marbles and people like, there's no small stories. It feels like right now. Yeah. And, and the media is getting caught up in this too, in the sense that everything that gets written now is, is attacked. If, if in any site where there's, where there's comments still allowed, you see nothing but attacks of the newspaper or of the journalist by that 66% that don't agree with what he or she wrote. It's almost impossible to poke your head up without some kind of buckshot coming at you from somewhere. And finally, the conservatives in these last days of dirty tricks, uh, these, these ads in the Chinese and Punjabi press uh, linking Trudeau to safe injection sites. It, 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 this is the kind of thing that if you say the words, it doesn't sound as bad as if you see the pictures. They're linking Trudeau to safe injection sites in the establishment of neighborhood brothels. The government is going to set up brothels. That's what they're saying. They're saying the government's going to set up brothels. But even that idea expressed in words is not as evocative as these images in the ethnic press where you're seeing a picture of Trudeau next to a picture of a needle going into a person's body next to like, you know, a woman soliciting. And, you know, basically they're telling you that your, your neighborhood is going to become some sort sort of a den of vice if Trudeau has his way. The ethnic media has always been really important. It was one of those things that Jason Kenney built links to when he was uh, an immigration minister. And they will do a lot for their friend Stephen Harper. The uh, They'll go to bat for him and publish advertising like that that is so utterly ridiculous. There's no way that the government is going to take over the hook shop in my neighborhood. Those girls are definitely free enterprisers. Uh, if they're smart, they'll vote conservative for the tax breaks that they'll get. Nor is Teenage Jesus going to come around and, and hook you up with heroin or any of the other bad things that they're suggesting. And, and I don't think anybody in the world is stupid enough to believe that they will. But I guess the idea is to put this idea of menace out, that there won't be the order and the um, and maybe even there's a risk of, to property values if uh, the immoral liberals take power. It's pretty weird stuff, and it's about as stupid as the let's make a deal, ka-ching, ka-ching stuff they've been doing, which is I think is about the dumbest political thing I've ever seen by someone outside of a municipality of 15,000. I mean, I would say that it's racist because the insult to the intelligence of the Chinese and Punjabi community, except that, except that the other tricks by the other yeah. uh, parties don't afford any more intelligence, don't expect any more intelligence of Canadians than the conservatives are. I mean, that's the common thread here is they all seem to think that we are really, really stupid. I don't know how you get someone to change their vote at this point. You know, I look at the, what is it, 9% are, that are undecided and think, are they are any of those people going to vote for Harper's, say, based on the, the ads like that or the, the ka-ching thing? I wonder if it's just a matter of them deciding on, on which of the, the opposition parties to support. I think half of it is is stuff that we hear as as utterly non-decided voters, you and I. I've already voted, by the way. And the stuff that's put out there to, to sort of give strength of heart to the people who are still pounding on doors. So that if you're walking around as a, as a Tory in BC and, and, you know, where it's very tight with the liberals right now, and you're knocking on doors, you might just get a little pick-me-up by knowing that the government, conservative party, is out there doing everything it can. <laughs> that's obviously everything it can to win this campaign, even though we know that they've lost this campaign. It's the first campaign that I think Stephen Harper's ever lost. I expected him to come up. I bet accordingly. And uh, I'm really surprised that he's done so poorly in this campaign. Let's talk about me, if we can, just for a minute. Canada Land had a story this week about the Globe and Mail's big feature on Tom Mulcair. Why don't I let you summarize it as best you can? What did, what did we write about 
the Jeffrey Simpson, uh, Thomas Mulcair profile? Well, from what I can see, and I've seen some stuff today, but I've been running around a lot today. Jeffrey Simpson was assigned to write a 10,000-word piece on Tom Mulcair for the near the end of the election features that they do. From the looks of things, from, and I really only read your story, Simpson asked Mulcair's people for 10 weeks for an interview. Uh, what, seven or eight times or something. Anyway, over and over again, made it very clear that he needed to talk to Mulcair for this piece. Now, I don't know whether he told him it was going to be this giant piece or not, but when Jeffrey Simpson's doing reporting instead of a column, it makes you know that this is something important. And the Mulcair campaign didn't give him access until second last day before the piece was going into production. Uh, which meant editing into layout into all the stuff they do to get a gigantic piece like that into a weekend paper. Now, for people who don't write, 10,000 words is a huge piece. You're talking about something maybe three times the size of a Walrus article, 20 times the size of a standard newspaper story. It's a lot of work. It's a very difficult thing to craft well. And Simpson decided that he was not going to take them up on their offer of a a midnight uh, interview. Now, where it gets really bad for the Globe in this is that in the way they handled it, where Simpson basically treated you like you were some kind of um, cross between a troubled person and someone who'd been hit on the head too many times and really did not explain very carefully why he chose to not take the NDP up on their offer. Now, you got into it with a lot of people in terms of the headline where you said that they refused an interview. That was sort of a stretch. It's technically true. I wouldn't want to have to put on a robe and defend you on that one, though, uh, in the sense that if you looked at the holistic picture, isn't that nice? You would see that basically Mulcair's people screwed this up, not the globe. But the other side of the coin is, what do you do in a situation like that? Where you can at least get a denial into the thing where Tom Mulcair denies that he is a reptilian kitten eater, uh, has six wives, you know, drowned his cat, you know, all that kind of stuff, which apparently was the sort of stuff that turned up in this article. Now, you would have to put a sharp instrument uh, right on my juggler vein to get me to read 10,000 words of Jeffrey Simpson. (laughs) And I think a lot of people feel that way. And I wonder why the Globe chose. Simpson to write it because really that's like asking Andrew Coyne to review my book. You're like, are you serious? And that might have been something that motivated the Mulcair people, the idea that they couldn't get a fair shake. The other side of the coin is Tom Mulcair is in the snake oil business. And if he can't sell snake oil to everybody, then he's not good enough snake oil salesman to be prime minister of Canada. If you're a candidate and the Globe and Mail is knocking on your door, and you're running for Prime Minister of Canada, that you're an idiot if you don't sit down and at least give it a try to get, A, your side of the story. Because they're not going to not run the story like some paper would in, say, Barry Ontario. They're, oh, well, don't have both sides of the story. We can't run the story. They're going to run it. Sure. If Mulcair's people didn't know that, then how the hell did they get the job? Mulcair has to try and sell that snake oil to Jeffrey Simpson. And if he's a good enough snake oil salesman, he might be able to pull it off. Because, I mean, Jeffrey Simpson, you know, is, is half bright. But, you know, he, everybody's susceptible to the charms, even of the tall Mulcairs of the world. So you, you give it a crack. And it's the Globe and Mail, for Christ's sake. It's, you know, it's boggling that they would be that dumb. And I'm, I'm taking up all the time here. But I think what we're seeing is the effect of that rope-a-dope campaign they were doing. Remember how I said these guys lost the campaign themselves? And you said, yeah, they just basically stood there and let Trudeau run around them 
and decide, you know, where he was going to position things. This 10 weeks fell into that. And they thought they were they had a winner. Big Tom was going to take them into the Langevin block, and they were all going to be you know making 150 grand a year as chiefs of staff. And they forgot that people change their minds, and that if you do the rope a dope thing, that's maybe an analogy that's lost on people. But if you if you play defense when you're in opposition. You're not going to win. There's some great questions there for Thomas Mulcair that I think that I want to know the answer to. Uh, why? You should call him up and ask for an interview. Well, the thing about that is, is that I cover the media. So I'm very curious as a voter and as a citizen about why Tom Mulcair employed that strategy with the Globe and Mail. And I know that you always get better coverage, even if it's your worst critic. Uh, doing the story on you. And and there is a big question there as to why Ian Brown was assigned to Justin Trudeau and why Jeffrey Simpson. I mean, forget about being critical. You bring up a point like it's just going to be so dull on Mulcair that there's just so much more juice in that. There's such a better deal for Trudeau yeah. than for Mulcair. But you still, you give the interview. So I, I'm very curious as to why Mulcair's strategy went the way it did. But you know, my focus is on the media, and you, you summarized that. Of course, I would have said it differently, but the only thing I really want to take issue with is the fact of when the NDP offered Jeffrey Simpson, the interview. And I found out today that they offered it to him on Tuesday. They offered him a phone interview for the Saturday paper. And certainly— When's the production day, though? A lot of those sections are printed days before the paper comes out. Like, you have— Simpson's deadline was Thursday afternoon, which leads us to believe that there was still Friday to do final edits. And certainly, as you say, a 10,000-word piece, that's not what Simpson wanted. But that's what was offered. You know, it's not by your terms. Let me flip it, Mark. Let me flip this one. And let me try to make the Globe's case as if it had happened to me, okay? So, look, listen, I'm really pissed off because I've been working on this big feature podcast on Stephen Harper, right? And I gave him 10 weeks notice that I was working on a podcast about him. I told his people 10 weeks ago, Canada Land is doing this definitive podcast on Stephen Harper. I, I got nothing back from him. So I went, and, you know, that's not going to stop me. I interviewed his critics. I interviewed Michael Harris. I interviewed Mark Burry. Uh, Paul Watson went to high school with Harper. I got stuff from him. I found this great anonymous source who gave me all kinds of dirt on Harper. I put the whole thing together. I laid in all kinds of music. I, I did tons of work on it. And then four days before I'm going to publish the damn thing, Harper's people say, Stephen, we'll give you a phone interview. And I told them to go to hell because that's not how we do things here at Canada Land. We don't take a phone interview at the last minute. This was clearly a political tactic, and I wasn't going to be played. And I mean, imagine if, Mark, okay, end scene. You've got the right kind of, Jeffrey Simpson, as I said in my book, is the cutting edge of conventional wisdom in this country. We're talking about somebody who has lived a life of extreme privilege, running up against a bunch of basically Politics is, is a world of thugs now. And being so, I think, in some ways frustrated and angry at that fact that he basically just said, well, I'm going to close the globe to you. You're not going to get in to the globe and mill. That's it. That's it, Mark. It was He had a tantrum and it was that blue blood thing of, and he, he said it. He said he was insulted by the NDP's lack of courtesy and therefore he's going to go ahead and publish anonymous criticism of Mulcair when he could have called up – he had the opportunity to call up Mulcair and, and at the very least go through the quotes and say, did this actually happen? Do you have anything you want to say in response? Which is like, isn't that just the basic minimum of what we're supposed to do? There's a point at which you would be able to get the stuff into the article and work it in so that there's some sort of flow to it. That's the optimum. That's the thing you want when you're asking 10 weeks ahead, eight weeks ahead, four weeks ahead. But you can incorporate this stuff as threads and themes and, and arcs. 
in this gigantic piece because you have to remember that this is a piece that you really want people to read and 10,000 words is huge. You want to make it pretty. You, you're, build, you're building a whole story. You want to make it beautiful. And, and you want people to read it. You're going to end up with sore shoulders. It's uh, 10,000 words is about 10 to 12 single-spaced 10-point pages on a computer. So that, that gives you an idea of how much typing that is, let alone something that's done creatively. Now, after you get to that point where you can't really work that stuff in, in an artistic way, then there's a point, and I would say four days is definitely in there, where you can at least get the stuff in. And then at a certain point, uh, unartistically, and then at a certain point, you would have the ability, well, you'd be in a situation where you couldn't really work into the story, but you might want to write a sidebar or something, right? Tom Mulcair says, blah, blah, blah. Now, the upside of that is that you got a side, and the downside is probably people are going to read the sidebar more than they're going to read your 10,000-word opus, but at least you've got it in. If it really was that amount of time, if there was days and days and days, if, if, if Simpson wasn't actually looking at... Uh, an edited article or, or a piece that's, you know, questions to be answered and all of the sort of track changes on his computer, then he should have he should have got Mulcair in. It's a matter of percentages. It's like the closer they got to the deadline, the more the percentages work in Simpson's favor. But when you're talking about four days away, then I think you're going up from, say, 5% in, in Mulcair's favor to closer to 20 25%. I'd still want to get Mulcair's press people and ask them why in the world they thought that was a good idea. These are all good questions, but I'll just say this. My lawyer wouldn't let me run that. If I, if I said I've got this story with, with anonymous criticism and the inter- I've got an opportunity to interview the candidate and, and, and get their take on it, but it's, 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 it's cutting it a bit short, my lawyer would say you can't, you can't publish that. That won't, that won't withstand a, a responsible communication defense. Let's start with those polls. 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 Ecos. Ipsos. Numbers by nanos are never in doubt. Well, there are polls and there are polls and the polls are different from everyone else. Can we trust the goddamn polls at all? No. I wouldn't be surprised if the conservatives you know, won this, this election by 20 or 25 seats in a minority. The polls... They've had real serious problems over the last few years. Aren't they based on prior elections? And isn't this election, I mean, you told me that you voted in the advance uh, vote, 3.6 million, like 10% of the country, not the electorate, the country, have already voted 70% higher turnout for the advance polls. That says a lot. Doesn't that tell you that anything could happen? That anything we say now, I mean, like, who the hell are we to try to handicap this in, in any way? It could be anyone still, couldn't it? Do you think that people ran down early? To vote for Stephen Harper? I have no idea, but do you think that it's... Really? Are you sure that it's Trudeau? My mother's a saint, you know. She was a scrutineer for the Conservatives in the last election. And she was just barely hanging on last time I talked to her to vote for Stephen Harper. I would say that she's my bellwether person. If he's lost my mom, he's not going to win this election in any shape or form. And if she sort of very grudgingly votes for him, then it would be a minority. I don't think anybody's all worked up to run down to vote for Stephen Harper. I think people who vote for him will trudge to the polls and hope that he gets back in and that this all just goes away. The people I know who went to vote in advance polls, other than ourselves, of course, because we're ruthlessly objective, um, were people who were very determined to see Stephen Harper out of power. Yeah, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I'm dumb. I'm not calling this any which way. When, when you got that 70% new voters, is, I mean, I'm not saying that it's I'm not saying that it's anybody's. I mean, nothing would surprise me. Like someone in our office poll is going to look like a genius and the rest of us are going to look like idiots. I mean, that's the way polling works sometimes, too. And if you, if you go into polling, look at polling data 
and see how many elections they've blown, including in 2011, you realize that it's not an exact science at all. It sort of looks like one because they have numbers and graphs and things. But whether people lie to them or whether they don't get a hold of people or whether people who are only really sort of worked up about things actually give them an answer, those are problems that the polling industry itself has to, has to sort of deal with and work through. And I think until they do, um, we're going to see major screw-ups. And anything can happen. It, it could be that uh, that people get confident or it could be that the polls are totally wrong and that the people who are sure that Stephen Harper's done are all talking to themselves on Twitter. And there's a whole world of people that we don't know uh, who are very quietly you know, going to get in the car, like my mom. And head down to vote conservative. My mom's not on Twitter. She doesn't tell anybody who she votes for. Her idiot son gets on the radio and does that. That may be Stephen Harper's salvation. I have the email. September 28th, Mark Burry. I was sure. I put money and I said to Paul Wells on Twitter, you know, I, I don't think my five bucks is in any jeopardy. Like six weeks ago, I think I said that. And he retweeted it to make sure that you know everybody knew my fabulous wisdom. <laughs> and I would say six weeks ago that th- this guy couldn't be beat. But boy, when the wind goes out of the sails... It really does. And, and Hey, who knows? Uh, who knows? Uh, Mark, your, your money's as good as anyone else's. Harper Majority. It's good enough for <laughs> Canada Land t-shirt. Hey, and we forgot to say, Mark Burry, Canada Land supporter. Thanks very much, Mark. No problem. Thank you. That was your Canada Land Shortcuts. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Mark Burry, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Mark Burry. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com, and our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. The show is produced by Katie Jensen. The next episode of CanadaLand will drop on Election Day, Monday, October 19th. Go out and vote. And that night, come on out. If you live in Toronto or can get to Toronto, come to the Monarch Tavern for the CanadaLand Election Night Viewing Party slash CanadaLand Commons live taping. There will be a live podcast on election night after we know who the next prime minister is, after after the, everything is, is known. Uh, the Commons guys will be going live with a live streaming podcast. You can check out our website for details on that, or you can listen to it on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.